0: Do me a favor and track down a Bible. They're in baskets uh, under the chairs. If you don't have one, uh, you can take one home with you if you want. But uh, we're going to be on page 937 in the Bibles that we have here. Uh, We're doing a series right now. This is the the week that we're addressing suffering. And um, uh, spirit of full disclosure, what you're going to hear today will sound like a poor man's version of a John Piper sermon, and I don't really apologize for that. He uh, was very significant in my own personal journey. There was a season when brokenness and suffering was something that was happening at multiple, you know, coming at me from multiple different angles. And, and it was during that season that uh, I, I began to walk with a limp, both literally and, and uh, spiritually as well. And I was introduced to the ministry of John Piper and his material on suffering and how to navigate life in a fallen world was very, very helpful for me. Uh, so this will probably sound a lot like him um, and you know, the truth is, there are a lot of preachers out there and people who are producing books and people who don't like this subject, and so they don't really have helpful stuff to say, unfortunately. There are books out there like Your Best Life Now and um, Everyday Friday, you know, How to Be Happy Seven Days a Week, and, and I just think, man, we need books like Everyday Monday, How to Not Lose Hope When You're Wasting Away. How do you, how do you navigate this world that we're in, and how do you do that in a way that reveals your faith in God and your confidence in Him. Um, hopefully, we find that out today as we go in the Word. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and following. I'm going to read, and then we'll pray, and we'll get after it. It says, this starting verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Lord, would you help us right now, would you, by your spirit, through your word, as we focus on your son, would you help us to be people who can navigate life in a fallen world? Help us to walk away from this as people who could say, though we're wasting away, we're not going to lose hope. Would you build in us a confidence in who you are and what you're doing that can transcend even the most dire of circumstances? Lord, we suffer, and we just want to know how to do that well. So would you help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen not only do I think this is very, very important stuff, I think that addressing suffering is something that the church needs to do. In fact, when we had our teaching team meeting and we were looking at the calendar and we said, hey, there are three weeks here between series we have planned. What do we want to do here? And I said, hey, guys, what do you think about suffering? Like, this is where we're living. This is what our people are going through. And they said, yeah, that's cool. And, And as we kind of marched through the first couple weeks of it is it's been so profound for so many people at all of our campuses that, that this week they were talking and they said look I think we're gonna do this yearly like we need a series like this yearly we, we need we'll keep coming back to it because it feels like such an important thing for us to be able to address so I, I think it's I think it's significant but I also look at this subject and I take it very personally um, my dad <clears throat> he's here this morning he recently had a second back surgery in the span of three years, and it went really well. But you look—you know—you look at a situation like that, and you, you, as his body is getting older and struggling with, you know, just just life, and and you look at that and you go, man, how do you not lose hope when you just have these surgeries on the calendar every few years? <clears throat> Recently, my mom had some sinus stuff going on, um, and by the way, I've got a tickle in my throat, so I've got something going on too. So if I hack. I might have a coughing spell up here. <clears throat> but my mom had some sinus stuff going on, and they were looking into it, so they did scans. And uh, they were just trying to figure out, okay, what's going on here? What's the course of action? And while they were doing that, they found a, a tumor on her frontal lobe. And they quickly wanted to figure that out and go, okay, this is, this is something we need to look into. And, and by the grace of God, it's something they're not concerned with, and they're just going to monitor it. But you look at that and you go, how do you not, how do you not lose hope when it's, you know, one day you just kind of feel like you're stuffed up, and the next day you find out you've got a tumor on the front of your brain? How do you not lose hope when you go through, you know, like my, father, Steve, my father-in-law Steve, he's not here this morning, but he's had a traumatic injury, and it's affected his entire adult life. And you look at the limitations that that places on him, and you go, how do you not lose hope? How do you not lose hope when things are that broken and desperate? And then I think about you guys, and, you know, maybe it's just because I'm a pastor, but when I know all that's going on, how do you not lose hope? I mean, when I know the stuff you guys face on the regular, the, the stuff you're just ordinarily going through, and, and the different medical conditions that people are dealing with, and the different relational stress that's happening, and all this stuff, and you go, how do you not lose hope? How can you be somebody who's aware of the suffering in the world and personally going through it and, and, and be confident in God? And I, I hope this morning we find some things out about that. Let's, let's jump in. in verse 16, it says, "Therefore we do not lose hope." And so Paul here is going to help us to understand what does it look like for a Christian to go through life as we find it and actually maintain confidence in God. First off, we see the situation. What, what we find out is that Christianity is able to be honest. It doesn't have to whitewash everything that's happening. It doesn't pretend that there aren't issues. It's, it's able to bring them forward and say, "Here's what's really happening, and even still. We are people who hope in God. It says in verse 16, though outwardly we're wasting away. Paul is saying, look, he's, he's well aware. The world as we know it is broken, and he personally feels like he is wilting. That he's wasting away. And he's, he's talking about this, in, and we'll look at some of the examples in his life, but, but he's somebody who's fully aware of suffering and fully aware of brokenness and fully aware of the condition of the churches that he ministered to. And he's saying, Look, we're aware of this. Outwardly, we're wasting away. When he talks about that, he's, he's expressing that creation itself and human beings, we're, we're, we're not the way we're supposed to be. And it's falling apart. There's another place in the Bible where. He explains it. I think it's very clear over there. It's Romans chapter 8. And he gives us this picture of the world as we find it. In Romans 8, verse 18, and then verses 20 to 23, he tells us there something very similar to what he's telling us here in Second Corinthians. He puts it like this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will, will be revealed in us. He says there's something that's going to come, but that's going to eclipse what we're presently going through that what we're presently suffering will not be worth comparing to this glory that will be revealed. Verse 20 and following, it says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, the world as you know it is broken. How we find creation is not how God intends for it to one day be. It's groaning. It's in pain. It's subjected to frustration. It's, it's got all kinds of different expressions where you look at it and you go, man, that is not ideal. Creation is broken. It is reeling from the effects of sin. And also we are broken as well. Humanity is broken. Look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So the world is broken and we are broken. I know that's not a great message this morning, but it's just being honest. This is how we find it. We're in a situation where we are outwardly wasting away. The world is broken. We're broken. So that's why we find things like tsunamis. The world is broken. Waves that will crash through island villages and devastate everything. Um, or coastal cities that can, tsunamis that come through, and you go, why does that stuff happen? Why, why is there that degree of suffering in the world that we live in? We find things like earthquakes. I remember when Ash and Court were one of the last planes to get off the ground in Haiti right before that earthquake hit that community. And you look at that and you go, okay, these people were struggling before that. They were, they were just trying to figure out life and, and get what they needed day to day, and now their entire community has been devastated and many lives were lost. And you look at that and you go, what is going on? And the Bible says, look, creation is broken. And there are these different expressions within it where that brokenness comes to the surface and becomes very, very evident. Tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and, and all kinds of different weather patterns that you look at. And we call them natural disasters, but really it's just revealing that creation has been subjected to frustration. It's in this condition of decay. And then you look at disease, you look at things that can happen to people, you look at things like cancer and leukemia, and I, I don't know if we're just more aware now, but I feel like on, on the regular, I'm being told somebody else has cancer, somebody else has leukemia, and this is over and over and over again. There, there are medical conditions, even within our church family, that you look at and you go, why? why? This is so awful. Why, do, why does somebody have to go through that? Why do they have to be limited in their experience of life? And over and over again, we find those things. We find tumor. But, but, but not just the you know, kind of big stuff that's, that you obviously go, that's very broken, that's not right. But also, just, just being a human being, we're all wasting away. We're all in this state of decay. Uh, our bodies are breaking down. Um, I, so I'm going to be 37 in April. And I was thinking about, I'm not the same at 37 as I was when I was 17, right? And some of you guys, you like this is very obvious for you but i'm falling apart and i love to skateboard and wakeboard and do these different action sports but when i go to the park now i have to be very careful like i go there and i'm like if i take a spill it could i I could be done for a long long time and in fact i did last year i fell onto a rail i I was doing a stunt i fell on the rail and they call it tacoing because you like fold over it and you look like a taco shell on a rail and you're sliding down it so i taco this rail and I, I get up, and my ribs are so bruised, and I keep trying to ride, but I can't. And it, it kind of ends my season last year. And um, I'm like, oh, man, this stinks. Like, I want to go out there, but even if I go, I can't have fun anymore because everything just hurts. And, you know, now everything hurts when your ribs are bruised. Like, sneezing is, you know, whew, it was not good. But then this week, I'm, I'm on Instagram, and I'm watching this, this young pro wakeboarder, and he's doing a stunt. He, go, he launches from a ramp, through the air, over to a rail. It's probably 20 feet. He's launching through the air. And he gets to the rail, and he slips out, and he tacos it. I'm like, ooh, looking at my phone. He tacos the rail, and he's sliding across it. And then he gets to the end of the rail, and he just stands up, and he rides over, and he hits the next rail. And I was like, come on. That's the difference between 17 and 37. If I do that, I'm dead. But he just bounces off of it. We're all falling apart. Some of you guys, I mean... You're further along than I am. I know I mistreated my body, but you know things are falling apart. You get injured when you sleep. You wake up and you're like, why does this hurt? I slept funny. But you know our bodies are falling apart. And so when he says we're wasting away, outwardly we're wasting away, if we're being honest, we just say, yeah, absolutely. We get it. We get it. The, the way that we go through life, we understand we are falling apart. and And creation is falling apart, but I think there's another pressure too that maybe is even more devastating for us. And that's the pressure, not just of creation groaning, creation being frustrated, creation wasting away, but also the pressure that we feel on account of failed relationships. When, when people, when other human beings who should be able to love us and treat us with you know, dignity, instead they do harm to us. And, and, and I think that's mainly what Paul has in mind here. If you read up in earlier portions of this chapter, he's talking about that while he's doing ministry, there are people who are trying to make his life a living hell. And he's trying to figure out how to navigate that and do that well. But people can do harm to us, and sometimes that hurts even more. Let's look up at verses 8 and 9, where it says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. These are relational terms. He's saying, look, there are things going on right now where people are trying to do us harm, and we're trying to navigate this experience. And and so what I want to suggest is sometimes our suffering comes because of physical ailment, but sometimes it comes because of relational ailment. There are things going on where you know this is broken. How they're treating me is not how it should be. I was talking to somebody it's been several years now. He, he was in the process of separating from his wife and uh, heading toward divorce. And I was meeting with him and saying, how, how did the, how did this happen? Like, what, what on earth transpired that this, you know, your wife that you fell in love with, that you, that you loved so dearly, that you've raised a family with, now you look at her and you go, I can't be around her. What happened? And he was honest, and I appreciated that about him. He said, look, it got to the point where we were so unhealthy in how we interacted with each other, I couldn't sleep. He said, I, we were always fighting. We were always, there was no, you know, support for one another. There was no, you know, words of encouragement. There was no working as a team to try to figure things out. And he just said, look, it got to the point where I'm laying in my bed and I can't sleep because I worry if I roll over and she wakes up, we're going to get into it again. And he's just feeling that. he's like, I, I, have, to, I have to get out of that. A relationship where there should be intimacy, where there should be friendship, and, and the ability to confide in one another, it can become this place of conflict that's so unhealthy that you just feel like it's toxic and I need to get away from it. Relationships can be the place where we experience the most hurt. Somebody can be doing something, they can, you can find out they don't like you and what they're doing is they're, they're talking to other people about you, they're slandering you, they're saying, I question their integrity. I question their motives. I question, and you're hearing that and going, you don't know my motives. You don't know my heart. And you're telling other people that maybe what I'm doing is questionable. That sort of pain hurts in a way where almost I would rather have my arm broken than have to go through that sort of thing. But relationships can exert that sort of pressure and that sort of pain on you. It can even get more violent too. Relationships can be the place where not only you're experiencing kind of the verbal abuse, but also physical abuse and all of that. We look at that and we go, this is broken. Outwardly, we are experiencing decay. This is what's going on. The world as we find it is a broken world and we're broken people and we need God to do something about it. But as Christians, we can be honest and we can say, the world is broken. There's still a way to have hope. And my question is, how? How do we have hope even when we go through the brutal realities of life? this week I was meeting, I met somebody in the office space whose daughter is going to go to Kenya this summer, Uh, an adult daughter heading to Kenya. And I was talking to her and I said, man, she's going to get wrecked in a beautiful way. She's going to go there and see some things and experience some stuff. And she's going to come back a different person because I remember what it was like for me. And when you go there, you see it. It's all right there. The suffering, there's no hiding it. Here we try to sanitize it. We try to pretend everything's okay when it's not. We try to clean everything up. There, it's just very obvious. You walk in, you go, this is not right. This slum is not okay. People living in a you know, seven by seven hut with a bunch of people living in there. Their bed is a you know, makeshift bed built out of salvaged wood and their mattress is a piece of cardboard and their, their divider between their sleeping quarters and their living quarters is a sheet. And you look at this and you go, this is not okay. This is broken. This isn't, this isn't right. They're suffering. I remember this young lady named Agnes, we were there and we we found out about her because her daughter was a star student. And then one day became the poorest performing student in her class. And the ministry looked into it and they said, what's going on with her? And they found out that her mom was in the hospital and her 12 year old brother was taking care of her. And so we went to visit her and here's what happened. Her name is Agnes and she was dating a guy and broke up with him. And so when she was getting off of a bus one day, he filled up a little water bottle full of petrol. And when she got off the bus, he threw it in her face and lit her on fire. And her face was severely burned and her chest was severely burned. Her hands were burned from trying to block this thing. And, and so she was in a hospital and receiving subpar care. And the ministry said, we need to get you to a better hospital and give you whatever kind of care you need to get this addressed. And uh, we, we were going on a hospital call to visit her. I'd never met her before, but we're going there to pray. And I remember walking in there and the whole thing was overwhelming. I mean, it's just, it's kind of fuzzy to me even right now as I think about it. But going in there to pray with this girl and I'm holding her hand and I'm praying and I'm angry. Like I'm looking at this going, why does this happen? There's no situation on the planet where this should ever be okay. And I'm praying with her. And as we leave, the thing that's haunting me amongst everything else was the fact that I was holding her hand so tight. And I just felt like, man, I'm, we're there to pray with her, and her hands are burned, and I'm holding her hand praying, and I'm you know, just not even thinking about it, but I'm probably squeezing. And so I'm driving away from there, we're riding away in the bus, and I'm just thinking, man, how do you have hope in a world like that? How do you have hope when you know this is not some unique situation, but there's brokenness everywhere, whether it's in a slum of Kibera in Africa or whether it's, it's in McChesney Park or in your home? How do you have hope? And I believe that we get some answers here. There's a process. Look at verse 16. Though we're outwardly fading away, yet inwardly, verse 16, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. There's this crazy reality that Christians are people who can acknowledge it's broken and we're fading and it's not right and it's not how it's supposed to be, but simultaneously God is doing something. There's a newness that is now invading my very existence, and I'm being renewed from the inside out. That God's Spirit is doing something, that he's giving me new life and vitality, that though things are dying, things are fading, and things are falling apart, God is doing something where he's bringing about newness, and that's the experience for Christians. When we look at what Paul is explaining here, he's talking about the fact that when Jesus came, he he was bringing about this new life and he he brought it, and and it's true, and it's happening, but it's not the full reality yet, that we're still fading away while experiencing something of this newness. We're we're fading away, but one day that newness is going to come in its fullness, and that's going to be a beautiful thing, right? I mean, I think about this often. I can't wait for the day when Christ returns and makes all things new. I can't wait to get my new resurrected body and go out to the wake park and be like, watch this, suckers. And, and I've got this new body, and I can do all these cool stunts. And I won't sin like that either, because I won't be so vain or self-competitive. You know, I can't wait for that. And it's coming. But in the meantime, outwardly we're fading away, but inwardly we're being renewed. God, by his spirit, is helping us to have this new reality at play in our hearts and lives. It says in verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That's an odd way to put it, but he's saying what we're going through presently is light and momentary. And to that, you might say, you you must not know what I'm going through. It's not light and it's not momentary. It's actually pretty heavy and pretty permanent. And what I want to suggest to you is that Paul is fully aware He's somebody who's speaking with integrity here because he knows what it's like to suffer, and he knows because he's looking through the perspective, through the lens of eternity, he's able to say, look, whatever you're going through right now, it's light and momentary. It's just going to, it's here for a second, and then it's going to be gone in comparison to the beauty of what God is going to do. So we don't have time to go through all the things that Paul went through, but I want to point out just a couple. And In Acts chapter 14, Acts is a book of the Bible, and it kind of outlines the life and ministry of Paul. And he's going through, he's, he's traveling, and he's doing ministry. And in Acts 14, a group of people get very hostile toward him. And they actually drag him out, and this hostile group begins to pick up rock, rocks and stone him. And it's this cruel form of execution where a mob can kill an individual. And they do that to him. They're picking up rocks, and they're chucking them at him. And he's laying there and they think he's dead. They presume him dead. So they drag him outside of the city, but he's not dead. And he gets up and uh, continues on in ministry. He doesn't lose hope. And I, I was thinking, man, if, you know, God says, hey, Cor, I want you to start a church in Harlem and, you know, reach the McChesney Park community. And if, if it gets hostile here and people drag me out and stone me to, you know, presumably to death, I'm going to get up and go, yeah, I'd like a different assignment, right? Like, I'd, let's reconsider this thing. Let's, But Paul knows because Jesus told him, you will suffer greatly for my namesake. And so he just realizes this is his calling. He's gonna go through life and he's gonna have experiences like this. In fact, two chapters later, he's still doing ministry. He's with his friend Silas and they're preaching a message and people get upset and they, they actually grab the two of them and then they beat them with rods and then they throw them in prison. And you gotta wonder, man, can you really have hope when that happens? Well, they sure did. Because in Acts 16, 25, they're in the prison and it's around midnight after being beaten. I'd be sitting there going, man, that hurts so bad. But what are they doing? They're praying and singing hymns. They have this hopefulness even though they're going through this. In fact, Paul, he, he actually, when he traveled around to tell the churches and encourage them and tell them what they needed, do you know what he said? Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering. Christians are people who go through that suffering with a hopefulness in what God is going to do. So Paul knows full well, and he's able to say, our light and momentary troubles. What we're going through, when you get to eternity, when you consider the afflictions that you go through presently, they will feel like nothing to you. Not saying that they are presently nothing, but they will look like a light and momentary experience because you will achieve an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. So when you get that diagnosis and they say, you have this long to live, a Christian can say with hopefulness, that's nothing. That's light and momentary. That's achieving for me a weight of glory. When a Christian gets some bad news about a relationship and they're being persecuted and they've been overlooked in their position at work, they're able to say, this is light and momentary because there's a glory coming and it's going to outweigh all of this. There's a way as a Christian to go through the most difficult of circumstances and maintain hopefulness. And part of the reason why is because you understand the suffering is actually doing something for you. It says here it's achieving something for you, that God is not absent in your struggle. He's not saying, yeah, this is unfortunate. We're going to get past this. He's actually saying, I'm going to leverage this for glory. I'm going to do something through this that is going to make the glory even better for you. Like Sam in the, the story of the Lord of the Rings, when he looks at the situation, they're climbing up the mountain and he goes, he, he finds Gandalf and he goes, I thought you were dead, I thought I was dead. And he says, Is everything sad gonna come untrue? And what he was expressing was the hope that Christians have that, that when we recognize what God is doing and the glory that is to come, we're able to look at what we're presently going through and go, God is doing something beautiful, and and all the struggles that we go through are actually just achieving for us a weight of glory. That will outweigh everything that we're going through. But how does that work? I mean, how? So, it sounds really nice, right? Like, but how do I actually do that? How do I live this thing out? Well, if you look at the very beginning of verse sixteen, it says, "Therefore." So we need to ask the question: What is the "therefore"? Therefore, and if you glance back up, it gives a bunch of different reasons. But I think one that is very significant is this idea of the resurrection. So look at verse fourteen. It says, "Because we know." that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise with us Jesus and present us with you to him. Here's what he's saying. One of the reasons why you can have hope in the midst of persecution is because Jesus is alive. And though he suffered and died, he's alive right now. And we know that the one who raised him from the dead will also raise us from the dead as well and we will then be together with the community of faith. He's saying one of the reasons why we can be hopeful in the midst of suffering is because of the resurrection. There's a saying, and I've heard a few different, very mature Christians say this toward the end of life. And I want to encourage you to hijack this language and use it. But when things are going poorly, Christians who are mature, who are far along, can say this. when, When somebody says, hey, how are things going for you? I've heard a couple different people now put it like this. Not good. It's not good. They're just being honest. This is outwardly, we're fading away. But then they say this, but nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. We need to take that language and say, we're going to make this our, our motto. Yeah, what we're going through, we're outwardly fading away, but nothing that a good resurrection can't fix that we can have hope because we've seen what God has done through Christ. He is alive, and we too will live nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. So I believe that this renewal, this inward newness comes as we begin to apply the beauty of the gospel to the situations we go through. And we're being, we're being changed from the inside out because we realize the hope of glory that we have. And so I do think it's possible for us to be transformed. Transformed. I do think it's possible for us to go through suffering of all kinds of varieties and still be people who say, we don't lose heart. No matter how bad it gets, no no matter how brief my life may be on this earth, no matter how difficult the circumstances might be, I'm not going to lose hope. There's nothing that a good resurrection can't fix. So finally, how are we going to do this? How are we going to grow in our ability to do this? And we see it in verse 18. It says, so we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but, but what is unseen is eternal. It's saying, look, the way that you can grow in this is by learning how to fix your attention on, on these unseen eternal realities, which sounds weird, right? Like, how am I supposed to look at something you can't see? And it's kind of like those, um, remember those posters where there was a design on it, and there was an image that was in the design, and you had to look at it and stare at it, and then all of a sudden it jumped out to you? I remember when uh, I first had my experience with one was with my older brother, Brad, and my two cousins. We were at grandma's house, and we had one of these little illusion things. And so I'm looking at it, and they're saying, this is crazy, there's a unicorn on there. And I'm like, no, there's not. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it, I'm going, okay, I can't see this. And then I'm thinking, you guys are just pulling my leg. Like, you guys are just giving me a hard time. I'm the younger cousin, and you guys are just giving me grief. And I'm looking at this thing, and finally, you know, you like cross your eyes or something weird and all this. The unicorn jumps out. And you might be thinking, okay, I'm supposed to fix my eyes on something that I can't see. What, you want me to cross my eyes while I'm reading the Bible? What are you asking here, Cor? And I think here's what it, here's what it means. You, you begin to look at the beauty of what God has done in his son. You begin to see this unseen reality of what God has done by sending his son to die in our place and give us the hope of glory, the hope of resurrection. You fix your eyes on him. Yeah, you can't, we're not going to walk out of here and see him this afternoon at Beferu, but we can fix our eyes on him. We can learn to read the Bible and go, I don't just want to get information here. I want to see my Savior here. You can read the Bible and say, he's here. And and though sometimes I don't see him right away, I'm going to learn how to pray and read this thing so that every page and every paragraph shows me something about who he is and what he's done for me. Because there are times where people can read the Bible and it's all information. And Jesus said to a group of people who knew their Bibles very, very well in John 5.35, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. And Jesus says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. He's saying, if you want to fix your eyes on something that's unseen, learn to read the Bible and see Jesus there. Learn to see who he is and what he's done for you. And I think that if we will make that a habit, If we'll do that here at church, and you'll do that as well at home, if you'll fix your eyes on Jesus, it changes your perspective. You will be renewed from the inside out, and you will be able to say, I don't lose heart. I'm wasting away, but inwardly I'm growing in my confidence that God is doing something beautiful. He is going to take all of this stuff that I'm presently going through, and he, through it, is going to achieve a glory that will outweigh everything I go through in this life. That's beautiful. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to pray about that. But I pray that you would fix your eyes on our Lord and Savior and what He's done for you. Lord, we want to be honest, and so this morning there is brokenness. Brokenness abounds in here, and things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we're not going to try to whitewash it and pretend. We're going to we're going to look at dead on and say this is not right. These relationships are broken. My body's broken. This world that we live in is broken, but we do not lose hope because we have a Savior who suffered and died, but he's alive right now, and we too will, will live with him. Help us, God, to fix our eyes on the beauty of what Christ has done, no matter what we're going through presently, and help us, God, to gain that perspective that we are achieving a glory that will outweigh every suffering that we're going through right now. Help us to believe that in Jesus' name. Amen.